remain standing for a moment. I'm going to read from the book of Exodus, chapter 1, and verse 6. And the word of the Lord says, And Joseph died, all his brothers, and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. So go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Would you say to your neighbor, greater blessings for greater afflictions. You may be seated. Joseph died. All of his brothers and all that generation. I remember vaguely some statistics that I read many years ago. They're probably a little outdated now. But those statistics indicated that only eight out of 100 people will live to be 70. Two out of 100 will live to be 80. Only about one out of 100 will live to be 90 years old. Since my childhood, I've seen three generations pass off the scene. We would do well to think more generationally and understand that there will come a time when each generation will pass away. To those, today's generation of leaders must prepare and make room for the next generation of leaders. And as we grow older, we must think less of ourselves and more about those who will follow us. Every generation comes to a point when all that generation will be gone. Joseph died. All his brothers and all that generation. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 36, in reference to David, the Bible says, for David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. Every generation should spend much time and energy 
planning and working for the good of the next generation. And following generations should be careful to build on the work of preceding generations. It's tragic, but if the next generation either ignores the work of its predecessor, is incapable of continuing that work, also squanders that work so that it will be lost. God's providential involvement with his people and children of Israel did not stop with the death of Joseph, nor did it stop with that generation. As a matter of fact, they grew even in the midst of a leader that we know about. They were increased from 70 souls in verse 5 to over 600,000 men on foot by the time of the exodus. That may have meant that from 2.6 to 8 million people, when you count all the families and relatives and those who were of the mixed multitude that followed them according to Exodus 12 and 37. They may have represented as much as one-third of the population of Egypt. And God had long before promised Abraham that we'd make of him a great nation and after 400 years deliver Abraham's seed out of slavery in Egypt. So several years after the death of Joseph, a new king of Egypt took control of the stone. This new king knew nothing about Joseph, and he knew nothing about the history of the nation over which he had taken control. If this king had remembered Joseph, or if he cared enough to consult the history of his people, he would have noted the positive impact that Joseph and the Israelites had had on the destiny of Egypt. He would have remembered how Joseph had prophesied a devastating famine that was going to come upon Egypt and how Joseph had provided the strategy that not only saved all Egypt, but enriched the royal family beyond all imagination. If he had known history, he would have known or remembered that Joseph had ascended to the vice presidency of the land of Egypt on the wings of a series of afflictions that his enemies and his frenemies had imposed on him. Tell your neighbor, you can rise on the winds of adversity. His own brothers had first thought to kill Joseph, and then they threw Joseph into a pit, intending to let him die there. Finally, they decided to sell Joseph as a slave. The slave master who bought him committed him to prison based on a false charge against him. Valuable years of his life had been spent in first one adversity and spent in another adversity. But after all Joseph went through, he arose to the very pinnacle of power and prominence in Egypt. He received greater blessings for greater afflictions. And Joseph was able to say to those very brothers who sold him into slavery in Genesis 50 and 20, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day 
to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. He said to his brothers, I will provide for you and for your little ones. And he comforted his brothers and spoke kindly to them. And in Genesis 41 and 50, Joseph called the name of his second son Ephraim, meaning for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. That was Joseph's assessment of his experience. God has made me fruitful in the land where I was afflicted. And so Joseph and the people of Israel had a very good effect on Egypt. A positive and productive relationship had developed and Pharaoh should have attempted by kindness to build on the good relationship that they had developed. But instead of seeking to further build a positive relationship with Israel, he demonized them. And he contrived a plot to destroy them and to break their spirit. He wanted to stop them from reproducing and to cause them to sow despair of life that they would die emotionally and ultimately that they would die physically. Israel might not have been a threat to Pharaoh. Israel might not have done any harm to Pharaoh. Every successful and powerful person you meet is not a threat to you. But you look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor every successful and powerful person you meet is not a threat to you. Can I preach today? This new Pharaoh was prone to project on others the feelings that he would have had were he in their position. And thus he dealt with them as if they were going to act out those feelings toward him. Some people observe a successful person and say to themselves, if I had all that he has, you would need an appointment and permission to even speak to me. And then they react negatively to what they project. And secondly, not only did this king project evil sentiments to Israel and react to them, but this king was also insecure. And insecurity can cause you to feel vulnerable and weak when there's no real reason for you to feel that way. If you feel that there's a limited amount of money, power, or success from which if others withdraw, they will limit your capacity to withdraw, then you will feel that you must stop them so that there will be more left for you. But trying to block a person does not mean that you'll increase your share of what will come to you. Can I preach today? If Pharaoh could tell you or testify tonight, he would tell you that you can lose everything trying to keep somebody else from getting what God has in store for them. You can wreck your life trying to hold somebody else back. Bless, love, encourage the people around you. Trust God and he will bring his purpose for you to pass. The fact that you bless him does not deprive you of anything. A candle does not lose any of its light because it shares light with somebody else. It just makes the world a brighter place. 
And listen, your unwise actions will cause hostile and antagonistic forces to mobilize against you and even more decrease your chances of success. So try to lift everybody that you can. Try to encourage and bless everybody that you meet. But the strategy devised by this Pharaoh was to break their spirits. He wanted to stop them from reproducing. He wanted to cause them to despair of life to the degree that they did not wish to bring children into the world. He wanted to make them give up. He also attempted to impose population control on them. He sought to kill them by hard work, by killing their children as soon as they were born, by dispersing them to remote locations so that they would be distant and inaccessible to their families. He launched a crusade to destroy them. Notice how long this persecution and this oppression lasted. It started before the time of Moses' birth, and it continued until Moses was over 80 years old. 80 years of persecution. The reason for hiding Moses in the first place was because of Pharaoh's plot to kill all the male children at birth. So by the time Moses returned to Egypt, it had been at least an 80-year ordeal of suffering and of pain. The Hebrew word translated afflict means to oppress, to humiliate, and to weaken. But the text says in Exodus 1 and 12, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Come on, encourage your neighbor early in this. Tell your neighbor, the more they afflict you, the more you're going to multiply and the more you're going to grow. I just came back to deliver a message of hope and a message of encouragement. God is not only going to deal with your problem, but you'll be better off in every way when God gets through with you. God is not only going to deal with your trial, with your tribulation, but when you come out of it, you'll be better than you were before. Would you help me praise God? Clap your hands and praise God. I'm trying to preach this message today. I preached my first sermon in 1957, 62 years ago. Tell your neighbor, that's a long time. Between school terms, I traveled across the nation preaching revivals and attending church conventions. When I finished college, I enrolled in graduate school at the ITC in Atlanta. I worked as a public school janitor and as a recreation leader for the city of Atlanta to help support myself financially. My wife, Lady May, came along a little bit later and provided great assistance by working as a school teacher. When I received my master's degree from ITC, my father, Bishop Blake, gave me a job working as co-pastor at his church with a wife and a child I served there for three years with a weekly pay of $75 a week, $4,000 a year. After three years, Bishop S.M. Crouch, who was the resident bishop of this area at that time, informed me that he intended to assign me to a church in the city of Los Angeles. 
The church was called West Angeles Church. In the church of God in Christ, bishops appoint pastors. The church had approximately 50 members and had been without an active pastor for about two years. They made up their minds, since they didn't know me, not to receive the bishop or to receive any pastor that the bishop tried to appoint. The night before Bishop Crouch and I went to the church, they voted 40 to 11 not to hear anything Bishop Crouch had to say. Bishop Crouch and I and Lady May and little Kim by that time arrived at the church on Fifth Avenue in Adams on the second Sunday in January 1969. Bishop Crouch went to the pulpit and preached and then he announced that God had directed him to assign this fine young man, Elder Charles Blake, as pastor of West Angeles Church. Seven men stood up immediately and said, we don't recognize you, Bishop, and we're not going to have this young man, Charles Blake, whom you want to appoint. Bishop told the men to sit down, and the men would not sit down. They kept on standing up. Bishop Crouch told the whole crowd, all right, everybody stand up. <laughs> Prayed the benediction, tapped me on the shoulder, and said, it's yours, my boy, and walked out the side door. <laughs> Left me in there. I stepped to the podium, and one of the men who was standing at the podium stepped aside. I shared the vision that God had given me. I asked the congregation, just give me a chance. If it works, fine. If it doesn't work, I'll be the first one to get out of here fast as I can. So they decided to give me a chance. A few days later, a backslidden preacher walked into the church from jail to the center seat of the platform, sat on the platform and tried to take over the church. Individuals would file lawsuits personally claiming the property of the church. There were three solid years of constant litigation in and out of court had to have an armed bodyguard for my personal protection day and night. People would turn the lights out, disrupt our meetings with screams and shouts. One even attempted to start a fight, told me to step outside. I want to talk to you for a minute. I slammed the door, called the deacons and said, hey, you fellas better get down here as fast as you can. I'm about to hurt somebody in this room. In the midst of it all, in the midst of all that confusion, the first year God doubled the size of the congregation. Second year he doubled it again. The third year he doubled it again. In the midst of all that confusion, West Angeles now has become the largest church in our denomination and one of the largest churches of any denomination in the country. God let me go through that roughest time of my life to teach me that if he brought me through that, he can bring me through anything. I just came by to tell you, if God brought you what he's, through what he's brought you through, God can take you through anything. I said God can take you through anything. The more we were afflicted, the more we were afflicted, the more we multiplied, and the more we grew. Move forward, please, to 1985. 1985, I was diagnosed with an acoustic neuroma, a tumor coming out of the, on the hearing nerve, coming out from my ear to the brain. And 
that channel through which that hearing nerve travels is also the place where the sight nerve and the facial expression nerve and the balance nerve all are intertwined together coming into and out of the brain. But if the tumor was not removed immediately or quickly, it could ultimately cause death. We were able to get on the schedule of the world's foremost surgeon at that time for that kind of surgery, but it was on the same day that the residing bishop and general board were scheduled to come to select the new bishop for the state of Southern California. The, the presiding bishop and the officers, the general board members were coming in, as I do many times now, to select the one who will take the jurisdiction of the diocese forward. Because I was scheduled for surgery on the same day that they were scheduled to come, I notified the presiding bishop that I'm sorry I cannot come to the meeting on such and such a night because I'm having surgery. I'll not be available. Now, if I was to have surgery on the same day that the bishop was to be selected, it was very probable that I would not have become the bishop of Southern California. And I resigned myself to being excluded for consideration to the office of Bishop of Southern Cal. I checked into the hospital on the designated day. I was pre-sedated for surgery. I was lying there drowsily and about to be put to sleep for the day-long surgery. But abruptly, the surgeon announced, I'm not going to do the surgery today. You can go home, and I'll have you back in a few days. And apparently, he thought he had seen a blood clotting factor that was inadequate and did not want to operate on me on that day. So they released me from the hospital. I slept all day and finally came to about that evening and made it in time for the meeting, became the Bishop of Southern California. <laughs> Went to the doctor that following Monday and discussed with him why he had not performed the surgery. He said, I didn't do it because God didn't want me to do it. <laughs> Hallelujah. God, through that surgeon, let me know that he was in charge of my life, that I must also give God the glory all time. God is in charge of your life, and you should always give God glory. God is in charge of your life, and you should always give God glory. Say it to your neighbor, God is in charge of your life, and you should always give God glory. The more we are afflicted, the more we multiply and the more we grow. The message of the text and the message of my experience is that adversity and affliction does not mean failure or defeat. They just mean that God is setting you up for a greater miracle. God is saying, I want to deal with your problem. But I want to deal with your problem in such a way that you'll learn a lesson by the way I deal with it. You'll learn humility. You'll learn obedience. You'll learn patience. You'll become stronger. You'll become better. I want to deal with it in such a way that you and those around you will give me the glory and give me the honor and you'll testify that God did it, not me, not my knowledge, not my strength, not my power. It was God. 
How many of you can look back on your life and tell somebody it was God? Come on and give God praise. Amazing grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Psalm 135 and 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven, in earth, in the sea, in all the deep places. You just got to have the confidence that God pleases to bless you. He pleases to love you. And he chooses to bless you in any way necessary, in any way that he will. God can take you higher than you've ever gone before. God can do it just with the word of his mouth. Come on and give God praise. God says, I'm going to do what needs to be done, but I'm going to do it in my way. Deuteronomy 8:14 tells the story that God who brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, led them through the wilderness, provided water for them out of a rock, and protected them from fiery serpents and scorpions, fed them in the wilderness. The God who took care of them said, listen, I'm going to do you good in the end. I'm going to humble you. Afflictions eradicate pride, and pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When God gets through with you, there's no way you can be haughty, proud, and lifted up. When God gets through testing you, God doesn't let you go to the next grade until you pass the test. And when you learn how to praise him in your trouble and praise him in your distress and praise him in your affliction, God says, all right, move on up a little bit higher. I'm going to bless you to be promoted. You've passed the test in the name of Jesus. Now I'm going to give you miracles in your affliction. Tell your neighbor you can have your miracle in your affliction. Don't be downhearted. Don't be brokenhearted. Don't give up and surrender in the midst of trials and tribulation. Become a hallelujah anyhow person. When misfortune comes your way, lift your hand to God and say hallelujah because it just means that God is getting you ready for something better. I have a scar now behind my right ear. It's because of the surgery that I had on the acoustic neuroma years ago. Every time I touch that scar, I thank and praise God because that scar reminds me of how God promoted me and advanced me in the midst of brain stem surgery. It causes me to praise God because a scar is nothing but a healed wound. And if you have a scar, that means the wound has healed, the worst is over, and the best is yet to come. Uh, can I say that again? A scar is nothing but a healed wound. And if the wound has healed, that means the trouble is over, the best is over, and the best is yet to come. Your blessing is on the way. Come on, tell your neighbor, your blessing, your blessing is on the way. Let every scar remind you that you're healed and that it's over. God says, I'm going to take your misery and use it to give power to your ministry. Your misery will become your ministry. I'm going to give you miracles in your affliction. If you allow them to do so, affliction can increase your faith. I said sometimes affliction 
can increase your faith. You almost gave up. You almost lost hope. But in the midst of your affliction, God went to work on your behalf, brought you out and brought you over. And now you know whenever you're confronted by a trial that he that hath begun a good work in you shall perform it to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham, I'm going to give you a son of promise, but I'm going to wait until you're 100 years old, and then I'm going to bless you. And that way nobody will think that you did it on your own, but rather that God, by his grace, worked a miracle for you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm going to bring you out, but I'm going to bring you through the fire, but rather than out of the fire. You're going to have to go through something. And when they came out on the other side, they had to claim that the God that we serve, he is able. I'm going to wait until there's not enough to feed the multitude. I'm going to wait until you're down to two fish and five loaves of bread. And then I'm going to work a miracle for you and feed 5,000. That'll let you know that I will take care of my children. Be not dismayed, whatever betide. God will take care of you. Tell your neighbor, God will take care of you. God loves to work when there's not enough, when it's too late. They said it was too late for Lazarus, but Jesus came after he had been dead for four long days, called him by name. Lazarus came out alive, and he came out well. Hallelujah. Come on, give God praise. I'm just believing that whatever you're going through, whatever you're troubled with, I see you coming out in the name of Jesus. You tell your neighbor, neighbor, I see you coming out in the name of Jesus. Grab them by the hand. Pull on that hand and tell them everything is going to be all right. God is going to pull you through. Now pull on that hand a little bit. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes. It's going to be all right. God will work it out. Oh, yes, he will. Jesus died on a cross, but on the third day morning, he got up by the power of God. And if Jesus can do that, he can do anything. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, if Jesus could rise from the dead, there is nothing that my God cannot do. He loves to work when there's trouble. He loves to work when there's distress. He loves to bring you out when you thought you weren't going to make it. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we may ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. I've just come back to tell you, God is at work in your life. Don't worry about it. He's going to bring you out. He's going to bring you over. You'll come out with a shout. Thank God by his grace. 
worked it out for me. Come on and praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Go through your trial. Go through your trouble. Go through your distress. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Mount up on wings like eagles. Run and not be weary. Walk and not faint. I just came back to tell you, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Bear your burden. Go through your trial. It's going to be all right. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. When the archer decides to shoot an arrow far into the distance, he has to put some stress on the bow. He puts the arrow in the bow and he pulls it back further and further until it seems that the bow is about to break, but he keeps on pulling it. Before it reaches the breaking point, he releases the arrow and the arrow goes into the distance. God wants the arrow of your destiny to go into the impossible. So he's gotta stress you before he releases the arrow, pull you back till it seems you're about to break. You might cry to God, Lord, this is breaking me. God says, no, this is making you. And finally, before you break, he's gonna release the arrow of your destiny into your future. I see you going higher, higher than you've ever gone before. Get ready for what God has in store for you. God has a blessing with your name written on it. You ought to praise him for your destiny. Praise him for his work in your life. Stand up everybody and help me praise him. with you yet I said God is not through with you yet I love to say it I'll always say it I see you in the future and you look much better than you look right now tell your neighbor I see you in the future and you look much better than you look right now higher every day higher in every way hallelujah praise God for your future praise him for what he's going to do in your life praise him the Lord say I give you power over serpents over scorpions and nothing shall by any means hurt you labor is not going to hurt you it's going to make you and when God gets through with making you 
You praise him for what he has done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to talk to somebody who's going through an affliction today. I want to talk to somebody who's going through a trial. You're having it rough. And you've wondered that sometimes whether you're going to make it or not. Somebody who's going through a test. Where are you? Where are you going through a test? Going through a time of distress, time of struggle. God just let you know that this trial came to make you strong. This trial came to give you a testimony. He's going to make your misery your ministry. When God brings you out, you'll give him glory like never before. When I count to three, I want you to praise him like every problem has already resolved. Like you'd already come through it and out of it. In the name of Jesus, praise him like your prayer had been answered. One, two, three, praise him. Tell three people it's done. Tell three people it's done. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Dear Lord, I pray for your children today. I pray for them, dear Lord, because they might give up in the midst of the trial. They might wave the white flag of surrender and accept defeat. But dear Lord, I pray today in the name of Jesus that you will so increase their faith their confidence in you that they'll shout in the trial and rejoice dear Lord in the temptation that they'll come out greater than they were before I thank you for deliverance I thank you for the miracle I thank you for opening a door I thank you for making a way come on thank God in advance for what he has done It's done, it's done, it's done in the name of Jesus. The miracle is yours. Someone sick has been healed already. When you check yourself, you'll realize God has already wrought the miracle for me. Sometimes by the time you get home, you're gonna find out that God's been working on your behalf. 
and turning things around. I said he's turning things around. I said he's turning things around. In the name of Jesus, let's give him one more big praise. If you would give your life to the Lord Jesus, if you would accept Jesus, who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you may ask or think, if you'll allow him to come into your heart, he will change your life. You need the Jesus who conquered death, who rose from the dead and said, all power is mine. He will extend that power to you and your life will never be the same again. If you're here and you would say, preacher, I want to be saved, lift that hand up high. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. Lift that hand if that's you. I need a change in my life. The Lord, I pray for every person in this room. I pray that by your power, you will forgive their sins and transform their lives. Come into their hearts and let them never, ever again be the same. Thank you, dear Lord, for the work you've done and the work you do even now. Thank you, Lord. I want everybody to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me for the wrong I've done and the wrong I have been. I want to be saved. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for me and rose from the dead. I accept him as my Savior. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I have new life. Praise God for salvation. If you lifted your hand and prayed that prayer with me, if you've accepted Jesus today as your Savior, lift that hand again, please. Lift it again. I want to be the first.